Well, good morning. Uh, it's a little bit of an unusual day today, uh, having received uh, a positive test for COVID on Thursday night. <clears throat> Here I am in quarantine at the Parsonage. Uh, I praise God that so far everything is going well. My symptoms are mild, just uh, uh, mild cold symptoms, and uh, seems to be going in the right direction. Uh, as you know, we have several other folks who have tested positive, and uh, I think if you're in our church, you know who they are, and I would just encourage you, uh, if you would, to continue praying for each one. Uh, God's going to get us through this. I have no question about that at all. Everybody is doing relatively well. Uh, no one is very sick at this time, so let's just continue to pray uh, that God would uh, get us through this uh, quickly and easily. I want to ask you today to take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 3, uh, Matthew chapter 3, and I'll go ahead and open us in prayer as we do that. Father, we do thank you, <clears throat> Lord, today for who you are. Father, I thank you this morning that you're a God who remains in control of all things, Lord, I thank you this morning that uh, although you've allowed uh, several of us to be positive, uh, Lord, up to this point, you've not allowed any of us to be very sick, and I thank you for that. Lord, I'm grateful. Father, we know today that you work through trials, and Lord, I, I know that you work in trials in my life, just like anyone else. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would do that, that you would accomplish your purposes in each of our trials Lord, we thank you for a good Christmas season that you've given us. Uh, thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to look at the Christmas account in Scripture uh, over these past uh, two weeks and uh, for the time we've had to celebrate the, the coming of our Savior, not his creation, but rather the, the incarnation of our Creator, his coming to die for us. Lord, I pray that you will help me now. Pray for your strength and grace and uh, pray that you be with us as we um, look at look into your word today. Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you. And I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 3 today, and we're looking at John the Baptist, uh, the ministry of John the Baptist as the forerunner, the prophesied uh, preacher who came uh, paving the way, announcing the way, uh, for Christ to come. If you would, take your Bible, and uh, you're already in Matthew chapter 3. Let's let's look there uh, this morning in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'd like, to, ideally, to look at the complete chapter today. I'm not going to read through it, uh, just to spare my voice a little bit, but uh, Lord willing, we'll see each of the verses in the course of the message today. want to give you a number of P's today, so a number of points that uh, begin with the letter P to help our memory, uh, and we'll we'll work through the, the chapter today through the lens of looking at uh, John, John the Baptist as a preacher who prepared or paved the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Look with me here in Matthew chapter three verse one. The Bible says, "In those days came, well, John the Baptist." Uh, preaching, underline that word there, preaching in the wilderness uh, of Judea. So uh, verse 2 says, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven uh, is at hand or near. So for point one today, if you would, write down, jot this down, please. John prepared the way for Christ 
first we see here today by preaching. Uh, what did he preach? He preached repentance. Uh, verse 2 again says, uh, John came preaching, saying, repent ye. Uh, repent. Uh, what does that word mean? Well, we, we understand it has the idea of a change of mind that produces a change in direction. Uh, it's not just a change in mind, but it's a change in mind that has an effect. Uh, it's a change in mind about Christ. It's a change in mind about sin. Uh, it's a change in mind uh, with regard to intent. Uh, we become convicted of sin, uh, and we understand um, that Christ is the only way to be forgiven of sin. Uh, and so we turn from sin uh, to Christ. We have a change of mind about our sin, a change of mind about who Christ is and uh, in his role, his ministry to us. Therefore, we turn from sin to him, placing our faith in him for forgiveness of sin. That's, of course, how someone is saved. Saved. John came preaching, saying, repent ye. Uh, he was preaching to everyone, everyone in earshot, uh, everyone who heard. This, of course, is uh, very contrary to the Calvinistic idea that Christ only came and died for certain people. No, he came and he died for everyone, all the sins of all men uh, of all time, and uh, all the way back before the ministry of Christ. John was preaching, repent ye, grammatically, literally, everyone, repent ye. Now he says this, he says for, uh, here's the reason why, he says for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, something that's in hand or at hand is near to us. Uh, and this is the idea here. The underlying word literally means near uh, or something like that. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This phrase, kingdom of heaven, is interesting. It is unique to Matthew's gospel. Uh, it, of course, refers to the uh, millennial reign of Christ, the reign of Christ here on earth. Uh, the Jewish believer, uh, of course, was very familiar with us, this idea. It was prophesied by the prophets throughout the Old Testament, uh, and the Jews were very much looking for a Messiah uh, who would usher in his kingdom. Of course, uh, they weren't quite prepared uh, for a Messiah who would come humbly uh, and who would come to die for them. Uh, interestingly, even though both Isaiah uh, and the psalmist specifically prophesied a cross and the death of Messiah. Uh, in any event, John preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We understand, of course, that when Christ came, uh, he came offering his kingdom to Israel. Uh, if Had they accepted him, had, had they not rejected him, uh, he very much could have ushered in the kingdom at that time. Of course, the as I've already said this today, the, the prophets prophesied that uh, he would be rejected, that the kingdom would be delayed. Um, and of course, it's still delayed. We understand, and of course, our great hope is the return of Christ, uh, the, the seven-year millennial, forgive me, the seven-year tribulation period to follow, uh, during which the Lord will use uh, significant trials to reach the Jewish people, to reach Israel, uh, followed by his return, uh, and the kingdom that he will usher in. And we will, of course, uh, experience that with him. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for this phrase, kingdom of heaven, as we make our way uh, through the book of Matthew. Uh, and I just encourage you, each time we see that, let that be a reminder to you that, hey, that's, that's part of our hope. We're going to experience 
uh, a thousand year long, a millennium of, of Christ ruling and reigning here uh, on a perfected earth, uh, a perfect king, and we'll have the privilege to rule uh, and to reign with him. So uh, again, the first thing we see here today is John prepared the way for Christ uh, by preaching repentance. Of course, repentance is still uh, an absolutely critical part of the message that we preach today. Hey, you can be saved by grace through faith, and uh, you will be, but repentance is part of that equation also. Uh, I remind us, I should have looked at this before, but uh, make a note, Acts 20, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 20 and 21, Paul uh, in that passage is preaching to the Ephesian uh, elders, who of course are the pastors, he had he had called for them. And he says to them there, and how I kept, he refers to how he kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you them, uh, and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, that's the Gentiles, the rest of us. Here's what he testified. Here's what, he, what Paul preached, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. That's how you got saved in John's day. That's how you got saved in uh, during the, the earthly ministry of Christ. That's what Paul preached throughout his ministry, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the message that we are called uh, as saved, baptized church members to be in the business of preaching today. Uh, and so I encourage you, I remind you, don't leave repentance out of uh, the gospel message that we preach. It's, it's a critically important, it's a necessary component of our gospel message. It's what John preached. It's what Jesus preached. It's what Peter preached at Pentecost. It's what Paul preached. Uh, and it's what biblical uh, preachers continue uh, to preach today. Number two today, I'd like you to see John prepared the way for Christ as a prophesied preacher. Uh, he came in fulfillment of prophecy. This is important because uh, before Christ uh, would come on the scene, he necessarily needed to be preceded by one who would pave the way as a forerunner announcing the imminent coming uh, of the Messiah. Uh, look here in verse 3. Uh, Matthew records that John came in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of a forerunner. And he alludes back to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Well, here's what Matthew records in verse 3. He says, for this is he, John the Baptist, this is he that was spoken of by the prophet uh, Isaiah. Now that's the Greek form of the prophet Isaiah being transliterated into English. So be reminded that when you see Isaiah, that's uh, a reference to, a literal reference to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, so let me read it again. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Isaiah uh, wrote this, he prophesied this, Again, in Isaiah 40 and verse 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway uh, for our God. Of course, John the Baptist was in the desert. He was preaching in the desert uh, and came, according to Matthew, uh, in perfect fulfillment, in absolute fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. 
It's just a, a, another example of the Lord giving prophecies to his people that would help them to identify, to be certain of the identity of their Messiah when he came. Uh, John came in fulfillment uh, of the Isaiah prophecy. Now, you may remember also there, were, there was at least one other prophecy that John came in fulfillment of. Later on in Matthew 17, we'll see uh, that Jesus taught that John also came in fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy that we see back in Malachi chapter 4 in verse 5. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, Malachi wrote, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful uh, day of the Lord. Now, that verse has some, some difficulties, but uh, in Matthew 17, Jesus stated he taught very plainly that John came in fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, you could say, well, how is that, Pastor? How, how could that be? Uh, is John the reincarnation uh, of Elijah? We'd have to say no. Uh, the Bible says it's appointed to men uh, once to live and to die, uh, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There's, there's no biblical possibility of reincarnation. Uh, and so we, we need to understand that prophecy through the fulfillment, forgive me, through the lens of these other scriptures that rule out the possibility of reincarnation. And I think we do best uh, to understand that uh, when Jesus said that John fulfilled the Elijah prophecy of Malachi 4 or 5, that's true, number one. Uh, how could it be true? Well, I think we, we do best to understand that John came ministering in the same spirit and the same power uh, that Elijah did. Of course, he came ministering and, and prophesying, uh, came in fulfillment of the Elijah, forgive me, Isaiah 40, uh, three prophecy in, in the same power and spirit that Elijah uh, performed his ministry. And of course, that's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So uh, that would, uh, I think, would be the best way to understand that in any event. Uh, in any event, the Bible is clear that John came uh, first as a preacher preaching repentance uh, critically, uh, paving the way for Christ, and he came in fulfillment of at least two significant Old Testament um, prophets uh, prophesying of one who would come announcing, paving the way for the coming of Christ. Uh, the next thing I want you to see here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, uh, John came preparing the way for Christ, uh, preaching repentance uh, as a prophesied preacher, but also as a principled preacher. Uh, as a principled preacher. I want you to see here this morning both his uh, tremendous example of humility uh, as well as his example of honesty. That's what I mean by principled. He came uh, very humbly. Uh, I believe John clearly knew uh, who he was in, in terms of uh, God's plan. I believe he clearly understood that the Lord had called him to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah, uh, John knew very well uh, who he was in, in God's master plan of, of bringing the Messiah in and uh, paving the way, paving a road for the Messiah from the wilderness uh, to Jerusalem and, and back again. Uh, and yet there was a great humility. Uh, there was a great humility. See verse 4. Uh, the Bible says here, the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. 
Uh, his clothing was camel's hair, uh, which was not a comfortable thing uh, at all. And a leathern girdle, not something soft at, at all being pictured here uh, about his loins. And his meat or his food was, you remember this, locusts and wild honey. I don't know about you, but none of that sounds uh, particularly luxurious to me. Uh, John's uh, clothing reflected a great humility. His humble diet reflected a great humility. Uh, of course, in you remember in John chapter 3 and verse 30, uh, th there John is famously recorded as saying, uh, he, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. John understood who he was and how God desired to use him in um, serving as the forerunner of Christ, paving the way, preparing the way. He also understood that when Christ came upon the scene, it was time for John to recede into the background. He must decrease uh, so that the attention of the people could be increasingly more upon Christ. Uh, he must decrease, but uh, increase, but I must decrease. That's a wonderful humility uh, and certainly a great example for us. Listen, there's all kinds of temptation in ministry uh, to become prideful uh, about uh, the opportunity to serve in visible places. There's, uh, there's temptation to pride about ministry accomplishments. Uh, there's temptation to pride about ministry positions. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, temptations uh, for believers to become uh, far more prideful that, than we should. John, John didn't. Uh, John practiced humility. Of course, Paul did too. Uh, Paul was a wonderful example of humility. Uh, I would encourage you this morning, if you find yourself struggling uh, with pride, it's, it's, if the Lord just begins to convict you uh, about pride, what can you do? Well, it's the same way we handle any other sin. We, we say, Lord, help me to confess that, to agree with you, to repent of that. Uh, Lord, help me to put off pride uh, and put on humility. Uh, help me to put on the clothing of humility. Uh, help me to put on Christ, who, of course, was a uh, a profound, perfect example uh, of humility as well. Lord, help me to decrease, that you might increase, that you might be seen uh, in my life. And of course, anytime an, uh, you have an accomplishment, we do well to, uh, number one, praise God for that privately, uh, but, but give the Lord the credit for that publicly uh, as well. So we see that John came practicing uh, humility. Uh, a principled preacher who practiced humility. Also see that uh, he practiced a, uh, I was going to say a brutal honesty. He practiced honesty. Uh, he did not pull any punches in his preaching. Uh, he was absolutely, completely honest with those to whom he had the privilege to preach. And of course, that's the best policy. Verse five says this, then went out to him, then went out to him, Jerusalem, uh, in all Judea. So people heard uh, about John and about his preaching, and they they began to stream out of Jerusalem uh, into the wilderness to hear John preaching. Bible says again in verse 5, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan. Uh, people and mass began to uh, go to John to hear his preaching, uh, and of course to be baptized by him. Verse 6, Bible says, 
uh, and were baptized of him uh, in Jordan, the Jordan River, of course, confessing their sins. Well, that makes perfect sense. John called them to repent. <laughs> repent ye. Uh, he preached repentance. They came uh, repenting. Uh, they came evidencing their repentance in their confession of sin. Uh, it, listen, uh, anyone who is genuinely repenting of sin will not hesitate uh, to confess sin. Uh, and when uh, there was this evidence of repentance uh, through the confession of sin, uh, John did not hesitate to baptize them. Uh, they repented, they confessed their sin. Uh, evidently, they placed their faith in the Messiah who John was announcing was about to come upon the scene. Uh, let's be reminded again today that uh, before the cross, people were saved by grace through faith. They were called to repent and place their faith in a Messiah who was coming. Uh, they didn't always know when, when he was going to come exactly. Well, if they had the scriptures, they, they, they could have a rough idea, of course. Uh, but uh, someone who, who um, lived before Christ could be saved by repenting of sin and placing their faith in the Messiah who was to come, just the same way as someone living today looks back to the cross and places their faith in the Messiah who came not in our lifetime, but in the past. Uh, they were saved the same way as, as we are. John preached repentance in the Messiah who was, uh, repentance and faith in the Messiah who was about to come on the scene. Uh, they were baptized uh, as they confessed their sin, having repented of sin uh, and placing their faith in the Messiah who was about to come uh, upon the scene. Uh, it's very important to see here that John uh, he was very honest. If, if there was no evidence of repentance, uh, he did not baptize. And uh, he did not pull any punches about uh, the reason why. Look here in verse 7. He says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees uh, and Sadducees, these be the, the Jewish uh, two, two different sects uh, of Jewish leaders, uh, Sadducees, uh, of course, had uh, sort of... Um, um, they, they had control uh, at that time. Uh, in any event, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Uh, verse 8, he says, Bring forth, therefore, and, and this would be a good phrase to underline, fruits meet for repentance. When John saw those coming, who maybe were interested in baptism for political benefit, for political reasons. Uh, perhaps they wanted to be seen as righteous and holy uh, as religious leaders of the Jewish people. Uh, but when John saw that there was no true repentance, uh, no evidence, uh, no outward evidence to indicate an inward repentance, uh, he denied. He denied baptism. Uh, and, and demanded there be uh, fruits meet for repentance, uh, genuine evidence uh, of an inward repentance. And of course, we, we do well to take care today as well. Uh, we, we take care in our church not to baptize anyone uh, unless there's been a, a, a period of time for there to be uh, significant evidence of salvation, proof of genuine salvation, uh, before we would baptize anyone into uh, the membership of the church. So 
we see here that John was very humble. Uh, he lived a humble life, but he was also very honest. Uh, and he was strict about who he would baptize uh, and who he would not. Uh, he was honest also in offering a warning uh, to those that uh, refused his message of repentance, uh, his message of the coming Messiah and the necessity of, of repentance and faith in the Messiah. Uh, he warned them. See verse 9 here. He says, uh, think not and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham uh, to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Uh, there were, of course, many of the Jews who uh, evidently said, you know what? Uh, we have this heritage. We have this lineage as the direct descendants of Abraham. Therefore, uh, we must be right with God. Well, no, Abraham wasn't uh, made right with God by his own identity. Uh, he had to believe. He had to exercise trust in, faith in, belief in God uh, for his own salvation. Uh, and so those who were descended of him should not think anything differently than that. Uh, John preaches this very honestly. Uh, he gives them a very honest warning. Think not within yourselves that you're right with God just because uh, you're descended from a man uh, who was made right with God by grace uh, through faith. He warned them in verse 10 about national consequences uh, if they refused to repent and refused to receive Christ as their Messiah. Verse 10, he says, and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Uh, back in Isaiah 5, uh, Israel was likened uh, to a vine planted by God in the land. And now here there's a warning that uses this same imagery. He says, now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. So uh, John very honestly uh, warned Israel of consequences uh, if they rejected Christ as their Messiah. Uh, listen, he, he announced that the, the kingdom of God was at hand. Uh, there was the very real possibility that when Christ came on the scene, which was imminent, uh, that, that the, the kingdom would be ushered in at that time. If they rejected him, there was the equally real uh, certainty uh, that there was a sense in which Israel would be cut off or cut down by the Lord. And uh, of course, uh, that, is, that is the uh, fact that we see uh, there in the first century, uh, after the cross, after uh, the resurrection ascension of Christ in AD 70, uh, the temple is destroyed by the Romans. They come in and uh, Israel experienced great consequences uh, at that time. So listen, we understand, all of us need to understand there's great consequences uh, for rejecting Christ. And uh, we need to, I encourage us this morning, boy, uh, when we're dealing with people about the gospel and, and about Christ, to be very honest. I understand we we want to keep our message positive and, and talk about the benefits of coming to Christ, forgiveness of sin, eternal life. That's a relatively easy part of the equation to preach and to teach. But let's not forget that a biblical presentation of the gospel uh, will also include coverage of the consequence 
uh, for rejecting Christ. Uh, John preached the possibility of the kingdom, but he also took care to preach very honestly, humbly and honestly, the consequences, uh, the personal and national consequences for rejecting Christ. So I would urge us to do the same. Uh, you know, we, again, we, we take care to uh, speak to the personal benefits of salvation, missing out on hell, gaining eternal life in heaven. Uh, of course, we don't leave out the, the wonderful reality of receiving the, the gift of the Holy Spirit who changes us and indwells us and makes possible the sanctification that uh, we know as, as believers and uh, empowers us and strengthens us for ministry. It's all wonderful, and, uh, and we should speak from experience to uh, these benefits of salvation. But we also need to take care to point out that anyone who rejects uh, who rejects the offer of salvation uh, will face very severe consequences. Uh, John was not afraid to humbly and honestly present uh, this very dire warning of consequences as well. Well, let's move on. Uh, I want you to see fourthly today that John, uh, he prophesied the ministry of Christ. Uh, of course, he's paving the way for Christ uh, as, as the Lord's preacher, a preacher of repentance, uh, as a prophesied preacher, uh, as a principled preacher. Uh, and now we see him specifically prophesying uh, several aspects uh, of the ministry of Christ. See this here in verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. There's water baptism, uh, not unlike what we practice today. He says, but... He that cometh after me is mightier than I. And of course, who is it that he's speaking of? Who is he paving the way for? He's the forerunner uh, coming, having come before whom? Christ. Uh, he says that Christ is mightier than I. He says, and, and here again is another wonderful example uh, of John's godly humility. He says, whose shoes I am not worthy uh, to bear. I'm not even worthy to bear the shoes of my Savior. He is so much mightier than I am. Uh, he's preaching Christ. He says, He, Christ, the Messiah, He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and with what? What's the last word there in verse 11? He says, Fire. Uh, no doubt a picture uh, of the power of God. Now, um, in our recent study, we've started recently a study in the book of Acts, uh, we've, we've talked about uh, the idea of the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit or the, or the Holy Ghost. Uh, John prophesied that, Jesus prophesied that, uh, and we see it being fulfilled several times uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, we saw in the book of Acts that uh, the disciples uh, received the Holy Spirit promised by Christ. He said, when I go, I'll pray to the Father and I'll send to you another comforter. Well, it, he said he would do that and he did do that. Uh, the Holy Spirit we saw uh, there in Acts chapter 2 came, uh, was heard as a rushing wind, uh, and was seen uh, as um, cloven tongues, as, as a fire. We talked about the significance of uh, that description uh, last Sunday morning. Uh, in any event, 
there uh, at Pentecost, uh, we also see the Lord using tongues in conjunction with this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, we examine and study this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit fulfilled throughout the book of Acts. Uh, it seems to be that uh, this is something that was accompanied by tongues. We see it several times in the book of Acts, not again after Acts 19. And so we understand this to be a temporary phenomena that uh, is, is seen in this transitional book of Acts on the Lord's timeline, this transitional period. Uh, we do not believe that this is something that it continues today, uh, although certainly uh, we understand that when we're saved, when we repent of sin and place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us new creatures in Christ, gives us a new nature, uh, indwells us. And as we yield to the Spirit, the Spirit is uh, available to empower us, especially uh, for ministry. And so uh, nothing that I'm saying this morning should be understood to do harm uh, to anything that is a, a current ministry of the Spirit of God uh, in our lives. But we do well to understand that uh, baptism of the Spirit was a temporary phenomenon. It was prophesied by Christ, by John, and it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, as a transitional phenomenon. Uh, look here uh, in verse 12. Uh, John also offers a warning here. So he, he says this, speaking of Christ, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly, thoroughly, or the idea is thoroughly, purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff, the chaff with unquenchable uh, fire. So uh, here, John speaks of the ministry of the Spirit of God uh, that would be put into uh, force by Christ. Uh, we see in, in verse 12 that that would be for a ministry purpose. Uh, those would be brought into the Lord's hand through salvation, uh, and then those that reject him uh, would suffer consequences. So uh, this is the ministry of Christ. Uh, who would come uh, and minister in the power of the Spirit of God, uh, pointing uh, pe lost people to himself uh, with benefits to each one who, who would receive him, but with consequences, again, to each one who would reject him. This is, this is the ministry of Lord Jesus Christ that uh, is prophesied uh, by John the Baptist. Well, uh, John... Uh, of course, has been faithful here to the ministry that God has given him. Uh, and he has a tremendous privilege. And we're, we're all familiar with this, of course. Uh, beginning in verse 13, we see the account uh, where John is privileged uh, to baptize Christ. So here in verse 13, first see this. We see Christ uh, arriving on the scene there at the River Jordan. Uh, the Bible says he's come from Galilee. Verse 13 says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, or to the Jordan, unto John, John the Baptist, to be baptized of him. Now, John has already evidenced this, this great humility, right? He's, uh, his clothing, his attire, his food, uh, all of his statements, uh, everything about him 
just shouts, well, it whispers humility. Uh, everything about John is humble. Um, and yet uh, Jesus comes asking John to baptize him. And uh, in his humility, John at first refuses, not feeling worthy uh, to baptize Christ. Uh, in verse 14, the Bible says, but John forbade him saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, uh, and comest thou to me? John, of course, is um, he's not refusing. He's, he's just humbly replying, Lord, I have need to be, to be baptized by you. Uh, how could I possibly baptize you? This is just another wonderful example of John's humility. Well, the Lord of course, is, is humble as well, but offers John an authoritative command. I understand how you feel, uh, and yet you are going to baptize me. Uh, verse 15, Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now. Hey, nope, we're going to get this done now. You're, you're going to baptize me, uh, and it's going to happen now. He says, for thus, Jesus says, for thus, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And Matthew records, then he suffered him, then he obeyed him. Uh, listen, John, in his humility, would never disobey a direct command of Christ. Uh, he understands this is the Lord's desire. This is the Lord's authoritative command. Uh, and so uh, he agrees to baptize the Lord. Want you see a couple of different aspects here. Uh, of the Lord's baptism. We'll make a couple comments about that. We'll be done. Uh, here in verse 16, first I want you to see the, the reality of his baptism uh, and then the result of it, the reality of his baptism uh, and the result of it. First, in, in the first part of verse 16, see the reality, what, what it involved. Uh, here the Bible says, and Jesus, when he was what? When he was baptized, went straight up forgive me, went up straightway out of the water. So we see here the, the mode uh, of baptism. This wasn't a sprinkling of water upon the Lord. Uh, this wasn't a pouring of water upon his head. Uh, he was baptized by immersion in the Jordan River, uh, very, very similar to how we baptize someone today. Uh, you get them completely down into the water. Uh, well, how do we know that? Well, there's two reasons that we can know that. First of all, uh, the word baptized, baptizo uh, in the Greek, literally means to immerse in. Uh, it means to place into something. Uh, so not sprinkling, not pouring, but uh, quite literally to immerse someone into something. So uh, the word baptism or baptized here. Uh, literally communicates to us that Jesus was placed down into uh, the water. And the next phrase talks about him coming up out of the water. So you have a word that shows him going in, and you have a phrase that describes him coming out. Clearly not sprinkling, not pouring, but water baptism by immersion. And Jesus, when he was baptized, placed into the water, then went up straightway out of the water. You have him going in, you have him coming out. Uh, this is biblical baptism. This is biblical baptism. This describes the mode or the method 
uh, of baptism biblically. It involves a complete immersion uh, into water. Now, we've talked about uh, very often in, in our church what the meaning of this is uh, today, this side of the cross. Well, we understand today that when we stand there in the water, we're uh, picturing or testifying to our faith in Christ who went to the cross for us. When we go down into the water, we're picturing our faith and our reliance and, and trust in a Savior uh, who died and who was buried. And when we come up out of the water, we're picturing our faith, our trust, our reliance in our Savior who rose again uh, on the third day, just exactly as, as he promised. And, and so baptism performed biblically within a church today uh, is a wonderful picture of the gospel, our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. That picture uh, is violated. It's broken when, for the sake of convenience, we choose to sprinkle water uh, or to pour water. Uh, and it's especially violated, by the way, when we do that, uh, when we sprinkle or pour uh, for baptism upon infants. Uh, you understand, and we've taught this many times, uh, there is not a single instance of infant baptism uh, in the scriptures. Uh, some have tried to read it into the scripture where, uh, for example, uh, the Bible says that the Philippian jailer was baptized together with his family or his household. Uh, some will say, well, there you have it. There, his household must have included infants. Uh, no, uh, it of course could have, but it doesn't say that. And so you, you would be reading it in there. What the Bible does show us is that the jailer heard the gospel preached and he placed his faith in Christ. And the Bible shows us that his family heard the gospel and evidently they placed their faith in Christ, uh, and then they were baptized together, having heard the gospel, repented of sin, placed their faith in Christ, they were baptized together by immersion. They went down in, they came up out. Uh, that's the biblical way. And so uh, it, it does not make any sense at all biblically to baptize infants that can't understand the gospel, can't place their faith in the gospel. Uh, by the way, an infant literally doesn't need... Uh, to be saved or, or baptized anyway. So uh, there's, there's just no biblical argument for infant baptism at all. However, there's a strong biblical argument for uh, older folks uh, who uh, can understand the gospel and place their faith in Christ. Uh, we're called to be baptized as a public um, testimony of our faith in Christ and of course, the Bible associates this public testimony with uh, membership, being inserted into the membership of the local assembly as well. Well, Christ is baptized here. Why? Well, I think we could say this is a, a, as an example for believers today. He's about to begin his public ministry. Uh, by, by way of example to us, uh, he's being baptized before he begins his ministry. Uh, today, we would do the same. We would uh, give the gospel to someone. If they're saved, uh, we would teach them that they need to be baptized into the membership of the church so that they could begin performing a public ministry. The same principle holds uh, today 
as well. Well, once you see in the second part of verse 16, and, and we're done, the result, uh, the result of the Lord's baptism, what did it yield? We see here in the second part of verse 16, the Bible says, and lo, uh, this is one of my favorite verses in scripture, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw, Jesus saw, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Verse 17 continues, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now that's just an awesome scene. So here's Jesus standing in the Jordan, having been baptized by John. He looks and he sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Uh, remember when the Holy Spirit was sent to the disciples there in Acts chapter 2, uh, the Spirit uh, lighted upon each of them as well. This is the coming of the Spirit upon Christ. And why would this be? What would be the significance of that? Well, we understand that uh, Christ came and voluntarily chose to set aside uh, the free exercise of some of his divine attributes. Uh, that, was a, that was a choice that he made when he came as a man. He was still God. Uh, he could have performed his earthly ministry uh, in his own power, his own strength, fully exercising uh, all of his divine rights and abilities uh, throughout his earthly ministry. Evidently, he did not do that, but rather uh, chose to perform his earthly ministry largely uh, in the Spirit, and, uh, according to the power of the Spirit of God, who is seen uh, lighting upon him, coming upon him, uh, anointing him here at his baptism. Don't forget today, please, that the word Christ literally means anointed one. Anointed one, what, how, why, what does that mean? Anointed with the Spirit of God. Uh, Christ is anointed by the Spirit of God here at his baptism. Uh, it's all about an example for believers today. Uh, we, of course, are called not to minister in our own power, in our own strength, but rather according to the power of the Spirit of God. When we yield to the Spirit of God, we're filled with the Spirit of God and uh, empowered by Him to perform the ministry the Lord has given us. And so uh, we have here um, the Lord's baptism, but it's wonderfully instructive for us. It's a tremendous reminder for us today that um, if Christ, <laughs> if Christ Himself chose to minister, with the anointing power of the Spirit of God, how much more important is it for us to choose to do the same, uh, to set aside ourselves, to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and to rely upon Him, His grace, His strength, to perform our ministry today is critically important. Uh, and so here the Lord is anointed with the Spirit of God. Let's see verse 17 again, and we're done. Uh, here Matthew records, and lo, a voice from heaven uh, is heard saying uh, to Christ, evidently, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, there's two proclamations here. Here you have the father 
proclaiming the identity of the man in the river. That's my son, uh, God the Son. Uh, and so uh, this is an important um, aspect or important example of the father authenticating the identity of, of the son, miraculously, a voice from the heavens. Uh, and lastly, of course, and this is wonderful, he says, not only this is my son, but he says, in whom I am well pleased. You see, Christ came according to the plan of the father. And it is evident that here he is being baptized according to the will of the father. He, as a, an equal in every way to God the Father, has yielded himself to the plan of God the Father. Uh, he's come as a man. Uh, he's grown up. He's about to embark on the earthly ministry that the Father has laid out for him. He's submitted to baptism, evidently according to the Father's plan. Uh, he's yielded himself and has been anointed with the Spirit of God which evidently is part of the Father's plan. He has yielded himself as an equal, voluntarily yielded himself to the plan of God the Father, and that has pleased God the Father. It's wonderful. Uh, I'll remind us this morning that um, we're not equals to God the Father. <laughs> we are created beings who are uh, so far from equal, we really couldn't begin to put that into words. And yet we enjoy the same privilege of pleasing God the Father when we yield to him, when we yield our, ourselves and our lives to him and just make ourselves available to be used by him according to his calling. Uh, we have the wonderful privilege, the same privilege that Christ had on that day in that moment to please God the Father. What an amazing privilege. Uh, it's not just a privilege, of course. It's our calling. It's our purpose. Uh, I remind us often that Revelation 4.11 calls us, uh, makes it clear to us that our purpose is to please God the Father. What an amazing purpose. Uh, what a tall order, what a tall order. And yet we know that we can when we yield, when we repent, when we turn from sin and turn to Christ, the one who was announced by John. We place our faith in him for salvation and then yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. Lord, help me to make your agenda for me, my agenda for me. Uh, Lord, help me to be obedient first to baptism, as you call each believer. Second, to take up a place of service within my church, as you provide for and call each believer. And, and, and Lord, give me grace to yield, stay yielded to the Spirit of God uh, throughout my walk with Christ. You will enjoy the same privilege that Christ enjoyed pleasing God the Father. In closing, I think it's abundantly clear, but, but let's say this. Let's not miss this. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who makes all of that possible. The opportunity we enjoy to live a life that pleases God the Father and therein to fulfill our purpose is made possible by Christ and Christ alone the one who's announced by John the Baptist. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you today. I thank you today for this passage. 
I thank you today, Lord, for John's example. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, his faithfulness to preach repentance. Thank you, Father, for sending him in fulfillment of prophecy, a great proof, uh, just another proof of the identity of Christ. Lord, thank you for John's example of uh, living and, and ministering uh, in a principled way with, with humility and honesty. Lord, thank you uh, for uh, all that we can see and learn in our uh, examination of Christ's baptism. Father, I pray this morning that um, we would yield ourselves as John did, that we would humble ourselves as John did. Lord, not desiring to set our own agenda, not desiring to live according to our own will, our own desires, but Lord, giving our lives over to you. Lord, setting aside our own priorities and agendas and Lord, just asking you to take us and use us however you see fit. Lord, I thank you for Christ's own example of submission in coming, in being baptized. Lord, I pray this morning, today, that you would help us to take up the same example of humble obedience. And Lord, that you would be pleased. Father, I love you. I thank you for the privilege we have to look to you for grace, to obey these principles, uh, and to know that as we do, uh, much is accomplished, most certainly including your pleasure. Lord, what a privilege. I thank you and I pray all of this now in Jesus' name, amen. Just share a little bit more in, in closing here. Uh, tonight at seven, uh, at six, I should say, uh, we'll not plan to have a service tonight. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll get back to a full uh, series of, of messages uh, and so our next service will be a recorded message on Wednesday night, Lord willing, at 7 o'clock. So I uh, encourage you to be back here online with us Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, and then uh, a week from today, uh, we'll, we'll be uh, back, Lord willing, again to a full schedule of online messages. Uh, we will not meet at the church this Wednesday or next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back in the church after that, but we'll, we'll certainly keep you apprised of any changes. Meanwhile, please continue to pray uh, for me, for my family, for others uh, in the church, and we'll just, we'll keep giving it all to the Lord. All right, thank you. God bless.